screen here. It's it's massive. It's it's huge. I, I can't I can't describe it. Wait a minute. There are words. I, I can read them. It it says listen to more cosmic dragon. Cosmic dragon. That's right. It's me. It's Sean Grigsby, and welcome to Cosmic Dragon. This is episode 35, and uh, we're going to be talking to Rhett Bruno and Steve Bullier, and both of these guys run Athon Books. They're both authors and writers in their own right, but they up and said, hey, let's, uh, let's start a publishing house, and they did it, and they got some great stuff, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, and uh, before we jump into that, I do want to let you guys know if you haven't already listened to every damn episode of Cosmic Dragon up until this point, or you don't even know who I am, which, let's, be, let's face it, is a possibility. Um, I'm Sean Grigsby, and I write science fiction and fantasy, and uh, Smoke Eaters is one of my books. That's about firefighters versus dragons. The sequel to that is Ash Kickers. That comes out July 9th of 2019. That's also about firefighters versus dragons, but also a phoenix. and a bunch of assholes who uh, try to kick people out of the city. Humans. Humans can be just as bad as dragons. Did you know that? I also have another book called Daughters of Forgotten Light, and that is a fast-paced, feminist, action-packed, awesome book about all-women motorcycle gangs in space, and they ride laser-wheeled motorcycles, very 80s sci-fi, very implausible technology, which I like. I don't want real stuff. I don't want to read about real shit. You kidding me? Anyway, enough about me. Let's jump into the interview. Uh, We're here with Rhett Bruno and Steve Bollier, also known as Jamie Castle, you said? It it could be. We'll we'll, we'll let the people decide. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's Jamie Jamie Castle. Jamie Castle. uh, And uh, both of you... Uh, are authors in your own right, but you also run Athon Books. So, what can you tell us about your publishing house? Uh, Steve, you want to take that? Oh, well, you started with the um, so um usually dictates that you're going to be the speaker, but no, that's fine. No, no thoughts came to my brain. I'll let you start. <laughs> we uh, we kicked off Athon Books about eight months ago, give or take, probably August of last year. And um, we we publish science fiction and fantasy. Um, we have a, a focus on uh, traditionally published quality books uh, published in an independent way. So we're uh, we're kind of a hybrid author and a uh, hybrid publisher in the sense that we uh, we deal with the indie side of things with Amazon and Kindle Unlimited, but then we also focus on um, traditional audio publishing with companies like Audible Studios and Podium and Tantor um, and others, Blue Heron Publishing. Um, so we, we really, our desire is to, is to cultivate like phenomenal sci-fi fantasy authors that, that want to put out, um, I don't know, uh, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Um, you want, I guess, I mean, you want the quality and the presence of the big five, but with the agility of an indie. 
Yeah, the freedom. Yeah. Is, for me, probably a better word It would be freedom because we don't necessarily care if you write you know, two books uh, a month or anything like that. But um, we, want, we want the authors to have the freedom to actually make money um, by, going, by using KU and, and utilizing um, rapid releases and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean that's our ma- our main thing is we kind of we study the market, we look at at what's working, what's selling, and I think sometimes my authors putting us in control, like we'll tell them, oh, let's let you finish all these books first, so we can take advantage of it. I mean, our main goal is to build a career for these authors where they're actually making money off their books, and that that means that we're putting a lot of attention into marketing and producing each one, and ensuring that they don't just come out as a, random ebook but they come out on every format with audio and a great narrator included all kind of at the same time to really build their following from the start right that's awesome so what what uh, inspired you to pursue this because that's i mean that's a big venture i, I could never do that at least in my own mind so what, what kind of made you guys go you know what we're gonna do this i mean i think what was it steve we had the idea what like like two years ago and yeah. but we didn't really have the methods to do it and then just like over the last year or so by cultivating our, our own careers and our own contacts in the audio and publishing industry we were able to sort of build enough contacts that we felt like we could really bring on some authors and help them get awesome sub-licensing deals and and know how to market and all of that stuff so i think it, it just took us really building up our connections to the point where now we basically know we could get an audio deal from one of many venues for any new author that comes with us that will help us launch the ebook and print at the same time and really take advantage of really the synergy of all three coming out and marketing each other. So it really had a lot to do with waiting for the right connections. And I think, you know, we wanted to prove we could sell our own stuff well, I think to, to show that you know the publisher can also sell it too because we do the same stuff for all the books we have. Right. I think I'd also like to add that we're too stupid to realize when we shouldn't do things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we tried it and it worked and we said we could do this. Um, and, and it's been it's been very uh, enlightening. Uh, the process of everything has been very enlightening. Um, in many ways, it's been very easy. In many ways, it's been incredibly difficult. Uh, I can't even express to you. Well, you know, Sean, because you do the podcast, you write books. Like It's so impossible to juggle writing your own books, editing other books, reading submissions from these people and that, and and dealing with all this stuff. It's it's incredible that, um, you know, Rhett's Rhett's strengths are my weaknesses and and vice versa, I believe. Um, Then again, Rhett has no weaknesses. He is amazing and incredible. (laughs) Um, Yes. But it's been fun to watch how, like, there's been times where I've gone, dude, I I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And he'll just go, I'll do it. And then 10 minutes later, the project's done. Um, And so it's been been a fun eight months or a year or however long it's been. Well, you guys also – go ahead, Rhett. A lot of it is just learning to juggle different things. Mm-hmm. Once you're you're trying to write and, and have your own career and co-write and then also publish for other people, like yeah. most days maybe we don't have anything going on and there'll be mornings. Like I think yesterday we had like three edit, re-edited manuscripts come back in and a bunch of cover stuff. So 
you, we have, you know, you have to learn how to be flexible <laughs> with time. I think more than anything. I woke up and thought I was going to get stuff done today, and I've I've had a I've had a cup of coffee. <laughs> it's about the extent of what I've accomplished this day. Yeah, I was going to do some writing. I, I wanted to do like 2,000 words because I just I, – I didn't feel like it at the firehouse the other day. But then I had, <laughs> I was I rem- remembered that I have an interview with – I knew I had this interview with you guys, but then I had Haley Stone interview. And so I've just been doing podcast stuff all day so far. Uh, um, but I've got till 5 till my wife gets home so I could just zero in. I, can, I, I need solitude, man, to write. I just do. I can make it work. But if there's people around, it just – can't. it locks me up. But uh, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Speaking of, you, you talked about the covers, uh, Rhett. You guys have some fucking awesome covers. Thank uh, you. Thank and you. like, even just like uh, for Rhett's book, Titanborn, like you could see every pore on this old dude's face, <laughs> the scars and stuff. It, it's holy shit. Like, who do you guys go through uh, to, to do these covers? Yeah, I mean, so Steve will tell you that book. I actually I went through like three artists trying to get the right look. Yeah, <laughs> for that one especially until I found the artist who did it, who really isn't even a cover artist. He's done like one or two series before, and he decided he likes science fiction and just wanted to do this thing sort of as a passion project. So I mean, those covers each one takes about three months. So that's a, a long time, and typically our artists are faster. But our main thing is we. We don't just find an artist and settle for a series. Like we look through and scour DeviantArt and try to find great artists that are affordable to do original art for basically almost all of our projects. Yeah, we're working with. Um, I'm a cover artist myself, and so that's kind of a passion of mine. Um, we 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 have about probably upwards of ten artists that we work with easily. Yeah, and. I think the key is realizing their strengths and weaknesses. And, and quite honestly, like, again, as somebody who does cover art, like I know what my strengths are. I did Haley Stone's cover. Um, I know, um, thank you. I know what the, what I'm capable of. I did all of Josh Guyu's covers, uh, for the commune series. And those are my specialties. Now, Rhett's book was not my specialty, like Titanborn. So outside of my wheelhouse, that it just makes sense to scour. And, um, you know, I think one of the things, uh, maybe I pride myself too much in this, but like, I don't think anybody else is using the artists that we use. Um, there's a couple, you know, we do use Tom Edwards for some stuff and a lot of people use Tom, but, um, if, if you're using different people, hopefully it looks different. And that's the goal for me at least is to have unique looking covers. Right. And, and every, everyone's different. I'm, I'm just kind of like flicking, uh, through all the the covers and yeah that's right every all of them are different but they're mm-hmm. all awesome like thank you man and, and you know that's that's one of the things for me is that you know they say well you can't judge a book by its cover shit yeah i can uh, there's a reason that's a phrase right yeah. <laughs> because everyone does <laughs> right right so and i'm also I'm just uh, scroll down to this book called uh way of gods Mm-hmm. Which is just one of a book uh, a series that you guys wrote together. Obviously, right. Steve, you wrote under Jamie Castle. So, what's it like writing with another author? Because I sure as shit could do it. Uh, rock paper scissors. <laughs> you go. You go first. All on right, I'll one. start. Uh, Rhett and I wrote a small book on um, on co-authoring. Uh, I don't even remember what it was called. Two authors, 
one oh, cup, what? I think. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, two authors, one book. <laughs> two authors, one book. Um, it's like co-writing guide to like not killing your partner or something like that. I don't. Yeah. I, I really don't remember the title. Something about murder. Um, murder-free co-writing. That because the right. reality is, yeah, something like that. The reality is, um, the co-writing process in my my eyes is very much like a marriage. And I think all three of us are married and. I had a reader email me one time and say, I was cool with this whole thing until you started talking about this being like a marriage. And I'm like, well, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't trying to get weird with you, but it really is like Rhett and I talk, uh, all day long, not just because of Athon, but because we've written like six books together at this point. And the whole process of writing, um, we interviewed a lot of co-authors throughout the process of writing that, that nonfic book. And we found that everybody's got different ways of doing what they do. Rhett and I write um, strictly 50-50. And what I mean by that is um, I actually think it's more like 100-100. Yeah. There, there's really <laughs> yeah. not a, a, a word in any books that we've ever written that, that like I haven't touched and he hasn't touched. And we have a very strong belief that like if, if Rhett doesn't like something I wrote, he kind of gets preference and vice versa. Like If I think what he wrote isn't good, um, like we're allowed to argue with each other about why it is, but in the end, if one of us doesn't like it, it generally goes. And I think that that becomes, um, kind of the catalyst to your book becoming as good as it could possibly be. It forces you to write something that you, that wasn't easy. Cause I know with my own writing, I tend to go easy routes a lot. Hmm. and Rhett will call me on those easy routes. Like, hey, there's a better way to do this. And if it were my own book, I'd go, it was good enough. It worked for me. And and maybe that's just my way of writing, but it's created some of the best stuff I've ever worked on. That's awesome. So you kind of push each other to do, to do the best thing you can do. And, and I guess some people, it just works out great, you know? You have like a, a. I don't think it's for everybody, for sure. No. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be willing to to give and take a lot, and I mean, you have to be willing to let the story surprise you a little bit. I, that's the one thing that's I think is great about our fantasy series is now that there's multiple characters and we each sort of take the lead on on certain ones and then go back through and and work it out with each other. But it allows us to also surprise each other, which I think leads to a, a really cool story within. The overall outlines we set up and I kind of keep keeps things really fresh and unpredictable which can be tough in writing for anyone so in the, in the end you have books that are extremely well written because two sets of eyes are looking at them at all times and then an editor so it's a lot of layers of cleaning things up and you know the ability to sort of surprise readers like we surprise each other right well, it actually becomes a goal, like to write yeah. something that that is shocking to the other writer. And if I if he gets me or I get him, like we know we're going to get the readers, right? And so that's kind of fun as you're going through. How can I how can I screw with Red? How can I get his mind uh, just shocked at what I what I did? That's awesome. Well, let's let's talk about some uh, of your authors with Athon. Uh, and Red mm -hmm. has told me you've got some big <laughs> names coming. So is that still? Top secret, got it? Can't say yet, or, or um, I mean, no, our biggest name actually came out last week, which was the Paul Anthony Jones who wrote the Extinction Point series with Forty Seven North. Nice. And he hasn't done a series since then, so we have his first series since the Extinction Extinction Point series, 
I think it's his first book in two years. Yeah, and it's it came out last week. It's doing really well. It's called The Paths Between Worlds. And so that that was, I think, still probably our biggest author. Joshua Gayu is also pretty big, especially on the audio side of things. And we're, we're doing a standalone for him that comes out, I think, in June now and in some talks to do some other series with him. So those are probably our two biggest names. But, I mean, you scroll up and down the list, there's a, a lot of really great authors and a lot of mixture between experienced authors and debut authors. So we're pretty excited about getting some of the stuff out out there. That's awesome. Is there any plans to work with a distributor of possibly getting it into some brick and mortar? Or have, have you guys well, already got at that At this set point up? right now, we're in any brick and mortar uh, across the nation. So if you were oh, to go cool. to any Barnes & Noble and request a book, of course, you can get that book. Awesome. Um, getting shelf space is, is a little bit more difficult because my name is not Martin or Jordan. Um, <laughs> so I think that was a big, a big point somebody made in the, in the news uh, yeah. this week. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. which I'll be honest, I'm split. I, if we're not going to get political, but like I'm split there because like those dudes, they freaking founded the genre. And if they want to give them an entire store, I will say, take the, take the store. You do what you want. Tolkien, Jordan, Martin, but I do get it. I'm, when on the yeah, traditional side, you're basically relying on print sales more than anything, yeah. and you're competing with dead guys. <laughs> I, I mean, I sort of get that. And oh, again, yeah, like like Steve said, we do have print available, and they look, the books look great. They're from Ingram. They feel great. We don't have shelf space or a distributor or anything. I mean, I, if one wants to contact us, I, I would love to work with one. But I mean, right now we're making most of our sales in ebook, and we're making huge waves in audio which always was our focus was to really try to create a, an awesome synergy between ebook and audio right and audio is blowing up yeah audio is like that man and that's that's where i'm my I, I listen to 200 books a year man that's my jam and i'm so excited to be a part of it you're better than me because I cannot. I can listen to nonfiction, but when I start listening to a novel or something, I, I zone the fuck out. I can't do it. I, that's just me. I, I'm more of a visual type type person. Uh, but yeah, the guy who uh, narrated uh, Smoke Eaters, uh, he was the voice of uh, one of the villains on Bioshock. Uh, he was also the guy who, uh, if you remember that old. Uh, like 90s movie brain scan where the it's edward furlong and he has that cd-rom game and trickster pops out have you guys huh. seen that i don't think so i don't think so okay well anyway that that's the guy who read my book and he did an awesome job what's his name uh his name t Ryder smith t Ryder smith did you google that while i was talking I searched it on Audible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, T. Ryder Smith. Uh, he he he's done all kinds of shit, but uh, he, yeah, he did an awesome job. Which is interesting because at first, because uh, uh, my agency uh, snagged me audio rights away from Angry Robot, uh, which Angry Robot doesn't really deal with audio rights uh, right. unless you know you don't have a good agent. And they're like, well, we're going to take audio rights too, uh, but I don't think they really deal with that because th that's just not their thing. Uh, and and they. Uh, recorded books who I'm with picked uh, T. Ryder Smith and at first I was like well I thought I was supposed to pick but once I heard who it was I was like fuck yeah go for it yeah and uh, yeah he did an awesome job uh, yeah you know you, you said Angry Robot doesn't deal with audio and it's, it's disappointing because there's so many um, Angry Robot books that I would like to read yeah but I'm being honest I don't have time to read like between editing and writing 
I have to listen. Mm-hmm. And there's I see all these angry books or angry robot books. I'm like, I want to read that, but I'm, I don't have time to sit down and read it. Give me the audio. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are on audio. I, I will say that, that to me that's appealing. Like I, I think Sean knows. I actually I have that book submitted to Angry Robot right now. Yeah. And I mean, the main reason I would want to work with them is because they'll let me keep the audio rights. So that that can be appealing because oh no I get that but what what we're saying is that Angry Robot typically takes audio rights. Well, I, I don't know if that's true or not. They they didn't. I could see that they would just to retain them, uh, right. just in case they do decide to. But I I can't say that that's a fact. I know with Which me, I don't blame them either. Like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just right, saying right. like if they don't do anything with it. Yeah, my agent said that they typically don't care about it but if you don't have an agent who's gonna at least <laughs> tell them to take it out it's probably just in the standard right word, yeah scoop it up like hey we have audio too and yeah yeah it's, yeah that's what i imagine and i happening. can tell you right. i got paid more for the audio than i did for the physical book yeah i mean that's always that's the case in our lives so yeah yeah which yeah well that's pretty standard and it's a big reason why i stopped working with random house was because they weren't doing anything with the audio which <clears throat> Well, and, that's why we stress it. <laughs> in talking to Haley Stone today, uh, Hydra is no longer. I mean, they're defunct. I, I, I think Random House got rid of all of their digital first or digital only. Yes, imprints. Yeah, but you know, gone. you know what they say about Hydra. <laughs> you cut Hell, one head no. off. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's back. Would you? It's staying a little bit secret right now. Red Skull, he's hanging out on the mountaintop waiting for Thanos, <laughs> and soon. I thought that's a different Hydra, but I I, I appreciate the uh, the <laughs> Hydra. Lord. What is the future of Athon? What what are some things that you guys are wanting to do going forward? I mean, hopefully, <laughs> get all the books we have cut signed out on on release. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's our our main goal right now. Is we we signed a lot of stuff for this year and for future years, and it's just working to prepare everything and you know a lot of times we can't set up the audio until we have the whole book finished and edited and stuff depending on which audio publisher we're with so it's it's a lot of work to keep things online and you know we're also diversifying and trying new things and we're always dedicated to getting top narrators but we're working on on some things with finding the narrators straight through us sometimes at blue heron we're doing some stuff with podium and audible studios so we're we're doing a lot of the research for the future to know what's the best for our authors. Yeah. So the awesome. beauty is that that ebook, the ebook side of things, uh, the print side of things, are it, it's all but figured out. I mean, um, it comes down to marketing. So we've got a lot of work to do on the marketing side of, of selling ebooks and, and selling print, but. The audio side of things, you kind of said that it's blowing up. It's new. Um, of course, Audible's been around for 20 years, but like it's it's just now becoming what it is. And so there's a lot to learn in the process. You know, you meet a lot of guys that, um, I mean, there's just no clue how to sell audiobooks, and that's understandable. No clue how to market audiobooks. So we're we're doing all the. Um, uh, you know, we're selling our eBooks, we're selling our print, but we're focusing on figuring out how do we really take advantage of the audio market? Because that I believe, and Rhett believes that's where the future is. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, go ahead, Rhett. uh, And one, one thing I'll, I'll say is like, I've seen a lot of publishers where the authors that, that run it are also in it. 
And I think we come at that from the angle of we want to prove that we could sell our own stuff the same way as we're selling your stuff. Right. And and I'll say that between our own stuff and the authors we've released so far, like all of our ebooks have launched into the thousand ranks. All of our audiobooks have launched sub a thousand so far. So and I'll say that many of which sub five hundred, some yeah. of which sub one hundred. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we've had some success in that regard and, and it's exciting. You were talking about audio, and I, I think a lot of it, uh, the reason it's blowing up, it also is because, like you said, Audible has been around for two decades or more. Um, but yeah. now, you know, with smartphones and, and MP3 and stuff, uh-huh. uh, you don't have to have this big clunky thing of like 10 discs, you know, and then have, <laughs> right, to have something right. to play it on. You just you just order it on your phone, you plug in your headphones, you got it, you're good, you're good, you know. Um, and I think that's the, the, the ease of that is definitely uh making people move that way and plus people well, are busy like like you said you you, right. you have no time to just sit down and read but you you can you know on your commute or whatever listen to an audiobook well the scenes change quite a bit from the days of um uh you know i could name a bunch of older narrators and i i won't do that for the sake because they're all still phenomenal narrators but like there's an old school thought process of just read the book don't don't yeah, perform the not. book, just read. <laughs> that has changed so much in the past few years with guys like R.C. Bray, Luke Daniels, and, and these guys that really, really perform your books. Uh, it's not like listening 10 years ago. Um, there, there's just this movie playing in your ears, and it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, let's talk about your submissions process, because uh, from what I gather, you guys... Uh, obviously, you take agented submissions, but uh, you're, you're pretty much open, aren't you, to self-file <laughs> kind of stuff where authors can submit their stuff? We, we are. We, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being careful because, you know, I don't want to cause a big flood of no, no, stuff to you No, no, it's okay. Guys, we already, the flood is already there. We're, okay. we're trying to figure out how to dam the flood a little bit. Um, but, but at the same time, we don't want to lose submissions because there's some phenomenal things that come through. Um, you know, but there's probably going to come a point soon, Rhett, you could correct me where we have to, where we have to stop taking open submissions for a while. I would say, I think we'd always stay open just because we, we want to see submissions and there's certain genres or if a series is ready, there's things that are more appealing to us that we'd be able to tell just from a cover letter, but we probably are at the point where we'd be able to reject people just based on the cover letter and knowing if it's something that we really, really, really want right now. Like there's certain genres that we don't have a lot of that we definitely would love to break into or we have a lot of and built a nice following with like more of. Right. So that sort of stuff. Okay. So yeah, I get you. So instead of doing more thorough, like, okay, well, let, let's read the whole book. It's like, okay, based on, on what we see so far, it's probably not what we want. So I think that's a good, I mean, that's kind of streamlines, streamlines things. Um, I think a lot of publishers do that kind of thing. So I'm sure they do. Yeah. But it's still cool that you're, you're an open publisher because that, 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 I know that it frustrates a lot of people because, okay, so I have to go through basically two fucking gatekeepers. I have to get an agent and then I have to see if that agent can sell to this publisher. Um, and some people just do not want an agent and that's cool. That's fine. So I think, uh, you're really going to, give people a breath of fresh air, I guess, in that, you know, they don't have to worry about that stuff, but still feel like they're, they're being treated uh, right by a publisher. 
Yeah, I don't think I think. Has- Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> uh, as as authors ourselves, I think that um, we we've already we know what what sucks as an author and what right. doesn't. What sucks is getting a bad book cover. What sucks is like waiting eight months to find out if somebody wants your book. Yes. Um, you know what sucks is having to get an agent when uh, the reality is like we're in a different era. I mean, it's not that agents are bad. I have an agent. I love my agent, but like. Um, not everybody wants an agent. Not everybody is producing um, agent-friendly material these days. And I know that sounds weird, but like, I think the books I write are good. I don't think there's a lot of agents that would be interested in some of the stuff that I write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I don't, I don't want to put another step between you writing your book and you getting your book published. Like you could just go on Amazon and self-publish your book. Why, why do I need to add another step between, um, you know, getting it done and getting it done right? You know, an agent told me one time um, that basically going through a publisher like Athon, exact, uh, is because look, I have nothing against self-publishing absolutely nothing i think people who are great at it are awesome and they're rocking it they're kicking my ass in sales however it's just not for me it's just that's just not my thing that's not my forte that's my strength so i would i would personally much if i was going to go that kind of route would be to to find a publisher like that who could take all the stuff that i do not want to deal with and uh, but the, the agent was saying well that you're basically paying them a fee in your how do they say it yeah basically you're paying them a fee for handling the cover and uh the marketing and things like that and i'm like well fuck yeah that's fine with me that's, i don't want to do <laughs> yeah shit. i mean that's a little bit of a dinosaur mentality because that's like saying you're paying somebody i mean you're paying somebody to sell your book like <laughs> that's the job of a, of a publisher right i mean like right. you write books just because you're a book author a writer doesn't mean you're a book seller right there, yeah. there's a huge difference in there 100 percent. i mean i've always said like the difference between a best-selling book and any other is honestly it mostly comes down to just marketing and that's outside of the viral things that nobody could quantify why the marsh went vi- the martian went viral like that's a totally random thing but other other books like if a publisher big publisher wants something to be a new york times bestseller it will be one before it comes out. I mean, I I met a lot of authors that had that happen to them, and it, and it really is just about if they want to put in money up front because they have the money and the connections to do that. I won't name the book, but there is a book that I saw was promoted to fuck. I mean, they did everything, and I read it. I, I got caught up in the, in the whole, like, I thought, oh, this shit's going to be great, and I read it, and it fucking sucked. But because they were so great, it, it, that's just my personal opinion on it anyway, but because they were, the publisher was so great at marketing this thing, it blew up. Yeah. It was Titanborn, wasn't it? Titanborn. No, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Titanborn. <laughs> I'm not going to name the book. But uh, it's but, just, there's a lot to that. because ha- You can't buy something you can't see. Or, yeah, and you're not going to buy something you don't even know about. Like, oh, God, right. it frustrates the fuck out of me when people are like, when, when I, somebody uh, retweets a thing about smoke eaters or daughters of forgotten light, and then some person I've never heard of or met before says, oh, why have I never heard of this book? And I'm like, I don't fucking know either. Like, <laughs> what, what, do I, what do I have to do? Like, what, what, yeah. what is the secret sauce? 
revisibility is the number one thing that sells books and um we that's why we focus so much on that that launch week if you get your book into the best sellers on you know week one uh you get all the eyes yeah you get all the eyes and hopefully it stays there a while and then you maintain through marketing but if you launch a book at you know a hundred thousand rank a hundred thousand on amazon um it's going to be just it's it bonkers to try to sell that thing yeah it's uh, probably going to sit there forever yeah it's crazy. but if you could launch at 400 and 300 or whatever and you're you're sitting at number four only behind you know stephen king and you know whoever else for your genre like that's the place you got to get and you got to stay there for a little while um and that's not something that every author knows how to do you might write an amazing book but i don't really care how good your book is if you don't have somebody that can sell the book yeah one thing I'm very, very grateful to Barnes & Noble for is that uh, when Smoke Eaters came out, that was my, my debut, they were super supportive of it. They put awesome. me on the triangle, and I don't, I didn't, I was like, what the fuck is that? You know, it sounds like a medieval torture device. But I guess, <laughs> uh, and you guys may know, but to, for listeners, the triangle is a, it's, it's a rack of books that's shaped like a triangle. It's vertical. It's like, I don't know, four feet tall. And, uh, that's what they have usually over by their magazines, and that's where they have George R. R. Martin, Stephen King. Right. And for about two or three months, Smoke Eaters was up there with Stephen King and George R. R. Martin. And it was like, holy fuck, you know, this is amazing. <laughs> and I think that that really helped in the success of that book because uh, Daughters didn't get that same kind of treatment. And it's, it's granted, fantasy sells more than science fiction for whatever reason. See, um, that's the complete opposite. Opposite in, in indie. Yeah. Oh, science fiction sells more. Well, I, I would yeah, say they probably sell the same fantasy. Yeah, I would say they sell the same amount, but one is easier to, to sell right now than the other. I mean, I if you, you consider all the top fantasy authors, they are guys like George R. R. Martin, Tolkien, Jordan, uh, Sanderson, um, and then you consider who the top-selling sci-fi authors are, and you look on on Amazon bestsellers. It's always independent authors, just always. Hmm. Um, and so it becomes a little bit easier when you're not trying to outsell a guy that's you know hasn't written a book in eight years but is still selling because his book is on HBO. HBO yeah, yeah. You know, it's imp- it's impossible to compete with that. Which is, I guess is what uh, Fonda was talking about. Which mm-hmm. I'm good friends with her, and, and I frankly agree with her. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> but that's diff- <laughs> that's different only in that because it's totally automated. Right. If someone, if you were selling better than. George R. Martin, you're going to, on Amazon or even Barnes and Noble or anywhere, you're going to rank right up ahead of him. <laughs> it's right, just, right. it's just a matter of a lot of those big authors too, that have things that are shows or movies like Harry Potter. I think Game of Thrones, a lot of those are also in Kindle Unlimited. So suddenly the, the exposure advantage that a lot of Indies have and 47 North and stuff, which is this Kindle Unlimited thing, which of course it limits where you can sell, but it helps you rise on Amazon. All of a sudden in fantasy, you're competing with, like all the Game of Thrones and all the Harry Potters, so you're automatically on the second page. Right. So I think that's a, a lot of, of why fantasy is, is a bit tougher. It's also a lot, it's a big organic genre where it's harder to market to the sales or whereas like having a full series out with nice covers, sometimes the readers just find it. But well, I mean, we're, we're doing both. <laughs> right. I found that fantasy, now I'm a fantasy reader. Um, I, I was a R.A. Salvatore junkie 
you know, read 40 something of his books. Um, you know, but, but so he's forgotten realms. I didn't make any jump from R.A. Salvatore to any other forgotten realms authors ever. I feel that fantasy readers are, are author readers and sci-fi readers are sci-fi readers. That's just what I've seen over the years. You, you get attached to Brandon Sanderson and you hardly find readers that, I mean, they look for new authors, but man, once they find them, they read the 30 books that that author has. They also tend to wait until the whole series is out, yeah. which as any oh, author knows yeah. is, is very frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a, a big issue, I think, too. Yeah. And it's one I'm pr- that probably will affect audio as well. See, though, the, it doesn't worry me because I'm like, you know, rebel, rebel. But I'm like the anti-Sanderson because <laughs> 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 I guess I should say, you know, you, you talk about like the, the, the generalization, like sci-fi is sci-fi and hard sci-fi. Like people, I, I'm not a hard sci-fi dude. No, I'm not either. I write, I write you know fucking uh laser wheeled motorcycles uh that kind of <laughs> stuff i'm love, i'm the love death and robots type of dude uh and that's what i write um and and my fantasy i i, I genre blend so it's like where do i fit in that because i'm kind of more in the mi- middle of that and that's what's really hard yeah where's your genre how do you fit right i wrote a superhero space opera that like superhero fans loved it sci-fi fans hated it because like well, there's no sci-fi here and it's like well I, I told you it was a superhero book right you know but it didn't quite fit in the superhero genre because the dude doesn't wear a cape so like it's, <laughs> it's very hard to genreize uh the mashups right and then you got readers like me where it's like, I'm, I'm tired of reading. I mean, no offense to my friends who write this stuff. I'm tired of reading about assassins and medieval war, worlds with kings and queens and noblemen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been done before. Give me something no, fucking different. You know? Get, like, I'm writing a space western that is a space western. I mean, it's on one planet. But it, I'm going to introduce a car that eats people. And people are like, what the nice. fuck? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it'll make sense. But, you know, just I, I like that weird stuff. But anyway, I know uh, Steve, you got to go. So let 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 me wrap it up uh, with a question I always ask my guests, and that is, and just so you don't have to rock paper scissors, I'll say Steve first and then Rick mm. second. Uh, <laughs> what is uh, a piece of advice that you, as either publishers or authors, want to let the writers out there trying to break in know? Uh, slow down. Slow down with your writing. Uh, we're living in a in a world right now that that tells authors that they've got to put out a book a month, um, they've got a fast release, they've got to do this and that. There's there's smarter ways to do that. Don't be so eager to go full time that you're willing to just put anything out there in hopes that it sells. This isn't magical. Um, it's not release ten books and make a million dollars. It's it's release you know a few good books that are really good books that people like and love. Um, and so my biggest piece of advice is just to slow down and actually create some art that's worth uh, the, the shelf space. Awesome advice, Rhett. Um, I, honestly, I'd say be patient to just build off of what, what that's Steve was saying. the same thing, Rhett. No, no, no. You're going to let me explain. <laughs> well, slow <laughs> down is, ex- is different than you be patient. Me, Go ahead, Rhett. I'm sorry. I just you got to let me explain. <laughs> uh, be patient in that like just because you finish finished a book if you're going to go the self-publishing route and again this is not possible with the submission route but don't just release the book as soon as you finish it i have a lot of 
author friends or, or people I know who contact me or, or readers that decide to start writing and they'll write something and they'll finish it and then they just release it. And yes, that does work randomly for some people, but you know, the best thing you could do is plan out a launch or find a, a publisher like ours that could really help you establish a foothold in the industry or, or even just wait until you have the whole series done. Instead of rushing to pump out books, you could build your career by spending two years writing a whole series, maybe more, and then you publish them fast after it's already written or something like that. So there is something to being patient with the books you have finished and not just rushing to publish them, but really planning how you're going to put them out there. Right. I feel like we said the same thing, but he said it better. So go with his. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. You're more than welcome to come back anytime to promote your uh, publishing house, your books, whatever. And uh, yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Way to land the plane. Uh,